Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with our very own Pastor Omar and Pastor Isaac Roman as they do a series recap of one. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount, and then be sure to check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. Enjoy this message. See what God is doing in, in our services. I mean, look around. My goodness, look at this. Let's go ahead. Look around. Go ahead. Look around. Look, we got a full house here tonight, and uh, we were in the we were in the prayer room earlier, and uh, my goodness, they were calling heaven down. I thought we were just going to have an altar call right there or maybe even get taken up into the heavenlies uh, tonight before we even got started here. But uh, we're excited. We're excited tonight. We're excited to be able to be here with you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go through a sermon series recap uh, is what we've been doing. And uh, uh, how many of you have enjoyed the sermon series one? And we're, we're going to get into this. We're, we're going to talk a lot about it. But uh, how many of you understand and, and really have caught the fact that just one decision, just one decision, right? Just one act, one act of service, one act of kindness, uh, one, one decision to put God as, as number one in your life can change everything. So I just want to pray this morning before we get into this. Why don't you just come on, believer, just lift your hand right now and begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on, just begin to pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time together. Father, this is a holy moment, God. Lord, let us not treat this time as casual. Let us not treat this time as just another service. But Father, I pray, God, by your Holy Spirit, that you would be present and reside here with us, God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we know, God, that in one word, God, everything could change. So Father, I pray over the people of God tonight. Have your way tonight, Lord. We submit to you. And the saints of God said amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Well, I'm telling you, I'm glad to be in the house of God on Wednesday and uh, appreciate all you folks being here tonight. And uh, we were so excited when we started this uh, series uh, one. It just happens to be 2021, right? And so uh, we felt that uh, there's something about the number one. And many times the number one doesn't, doesn't get a lot of love. It doesn't get a lot of love. And we wanted to talk about that. Just if you do one thing, it can change everything. And Paul the Apostle said this one thing. He said, this one thing I do, he said in the book of Philippians. He goes, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. And I'm pressing toward the things that are ahead. How many thank God you're not looking back anymore? And he said, if there's only one thing you need to do, is stop looking behind and start looking ahead. And, and I begin to think about how the number one makes such a difference. And uh, there's a number of things we could talk about. One, I've talked about even... The fact that if you just put an extra zero, one extra zero on your bank account, wouldn't that make a difference? Instead of having $500, you'd have $5,000, right? Just If the bank just called you and said, we're just going to add one extra digit, it, it'll change uh, everything about it. And I begin to think about our own lives, and that's kind of how the series got developed, as uh, Pastor Isaac was talking about. And if you're here for the first time, we don't normally preach this way. We don't normally do this on Wednesdays. Uh, every Wednesday, uh, but we do after we've done a sermon series, we'll come and we'll do a recap and, and Pastor Isaac may even dominate the service. I don't know. It depends how the anointing kicks in, right? I'll or, submit, who Pastor. Knows? It's all right. I'll be submission. <laughs> but uh, we're, we, we like to just kind of talk about the series of what the Lord's done. And you can listen to all of our messages on our podcast, on our YouTube and Facebook. And I, I think it's sometimes it's good to just kind of go back 
and look at them. In fact, uh, this week, as I begin to go over the messages that we preach uh, the past few months, uh, it just really reiterated a lot of things about where we're at and, and the place that we're going. But I like what Paul is saying here, that there's one thing that he's done and that he's forgetting what's behind him. Because I'll tell you what, the devil loves to make accusations. The devil loves to accuse us. The Bible says he accuses us, what, day and night. But they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so that right there is the key thing. Uh, But many times what we can do, we can forget one thing to do. And there's sometimes there's that one thing that can, that we lack. And the scripture talks about there was just one rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he was asking for eternal life. What do I need to do? to have eternal life. And Jesus was saying, well, do you keep the commandments and do all these different things and love God? And, and, and the guy was remarkable because I've never met a young guy like this guy. He said, I've kept all of those things since I was a kid. Maybe you've met the perfect kid. I've never have, but apparently this guy was perfect. But Jesus tells him one thing you lack. He says, go sell everything that you have and come follow me. And the Bible says he walked away sorrowful. He looked down. He was sad. And I begin to think about this guy could have been the 13th disciple. He could have been disciple number 13, apostle number 13. But he gave it all up, that one decision, because he felt possessions was more important than Jesus. And I'm here to tell you there's one thing we need to do is we need to put Jesus first. I said one thing we need to do is put Jesus first. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Pastor Isaac just add to whatever you want to add to that. So I think it's important as we're talking about forgetting this one thing, uh, there's a couple of things that I think we could all forget that could kind of help us out. So the first thing that I think we all need to forget is we need to forget our past defeats. We need to forget our past failures. Uh, uh, Paul says that uh, uh, I look forward, I, I, I'm moving on. And so uh, as Pastor Omar said, uh, the enemy, uh, uh before the enemy, we could, could accuse ourselves oftentimes and disqualify ourselves from what God wants to do. So the first thing we have to do is forget our failures and forget our defeats. That's freeing in Jesus' name. Okay, some of you guys got that. The second thing, and this, is a, this, this might turn you on your head a little bit, but the second thing that we need to forget is our successes. Now, let me, let me ground that real quick. Oftentimes what happens is we, we, uh, there, there's things and we've seen this. We've seen revivals be birthed. And what happens is oftentimes we become so confident in what happened in the past that we're just kind of floating along. And I believe that, uh, I believe that the Bible teaches us that, that God will take us from glory to glory and to glory. And so what we don't need to do is rest on the past victories, but we thank God for those victories, but we look forward to the victories to come. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Am I on I now? I, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. That's all I got right now. See, guys. look, he's on a roll already. <laughs> but also, think about this. And again, we go back to the fact that one person can make a difference. And think about this, that a lot of the times things change in just one moment. One phone call can change your life, right? Good or bad. One car accident can change everything. We just had a car accident here last night. Thank God nobody was in the car and somebody ran into our parking lot. No, your cars are safe. We're believing God. Your car is going to be okay. But, you know, it, it, it can make a difference. And I believe tonight, as people of God, as men and women of God, 
uh, again, God has called each one of us to make a difference. Look at what Jeremiah says. He said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. So before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye, okay, God already knew you. Before you were born, he said, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nation. So God said, before you were even born, I commissioned you. Before you were even born, I ordained you. In other words, I want you to realize that you may say, well, you know, I, I was an accident. I wasn't planned. You may have been a considered a relational accident, but I'm here to tell you, you're not an accident in the eyes of God. God created you with a purpose and God created you with a call. So every one of you today, you're not a cause of an accident. Your parent may not have planned you, but I'm here to tell you, God planned you before you were even born and you need to know that God can use your life and we used we utilized a video that day I can't show it today and it was the twilight zone video and, I, and the reason why I know it doesn't sound that spiritual okay some of you guys think of twilight zone video but believe it or not I'm a twilight zone fan I've seen every single one I don't think there's not one that that I haven't watched but this particular one uh, it, it gripped me when I was a young man, believe it or not. When I was really young, it really gripped me. And the name of the particular one of this, it was about a, a, a school teacher. And on the, this school teacher felt he was a literature teacher and his retirement age had already passed. And many of you remember this video that I showed that morning. And he thought that his life was a failure, that he didn't make any difference. They, they forced him to retire and all he thought, all he taught was literature. And he said, I've never made an impact on anybody's life. And he's about to commit suicide. He goes home that night about to commit suicide and he hears the bells ringing from the school. He doesn't live too far from the school. He goes over there and he walks into this classroom and just for one last moment and behold, what he begins to see is the ghosts of students from the past. And they begin to share with him the difference that his literature and his teaching made in their life. And many of them said, when I was at war, you're the one that taught me courage. When I was here, you're the one that taught me strength. And they begin to quote different pieces of literature and poetry to him to say, you made a difference basically in my life. And I'm here to tell you today, your decision, the, the lives that you're touching, the, that one person that you're praying for, that one person that you're helping, can I tell you something? Eternity only know the impact that you're making for the kingdom of God. Yeah, uh, Pastor Omar shared this quote, and I want to read it to you. It says, uh, it's by Edward Everett Hale, and he says this. He says, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I could do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. And I, I want to tell you this. Uh, you may you, you may say to yourself, well, uh, I, I don't have the education. I don't have the influence. I don't have the resources to make impact. I'm telling you right now where you're at, whatever your situation is, if you could make a decision to posture your life towards God, surrender to God, and put him as a priority, you will make an impact. You'll make an impact in your family. You'll make an impact at your job. You'll make an impact at your school. All it takes is one person making one decision to put God number one in their lives. I feel like the right side is getting it a lot more tonight. We're going to get you guys in the back. We're going to get you. All right. It's coming. We, 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 we went on to share another message, and that was the one encounter with this woman 
the Bible said Jesus was teaching one day in the temple, and they had caught this woman in adultery. And I began to think about how did they catch her? Were they peeping toms? How did they get this woman, you know? And the, the, the miraculous thing is they caught the woman, but they didn't catch the man. So many scholars believe that it was a setup in order to try to trap Jesus. They were trying to catch Jesus at his words uh, and trap him in what he was saying. Because if Jesus, they said, you know what the law of Moses said, that this woman deserves to be stoned. Not recreationally, okay? She's stoned with, uh, with some rocks, okay? But she's to be stoned, and, and you know, this is with the law. She'd be stoned to death, basically. And, and uh, they, they tell Jesus, what do you say? What do you mean? I mean, what, do, what should we do, Jesus? And Jesus answered them and give them an answer that they don't expect. Because they're thinking that, that if Jesus said to stone her, that he's basically then going against everything that he's been teaching. He's been talking about love. He's been talking about forgiveness. Plus, he would violate the law, the Roman law, because the Roman law did not allow the Jewish people to, to execute anyone. It had to go through them. So if they, if he was committed, he would be breaking Roman law. And if he let it go, then he would be saying he didn't believe in the law of Moses. So they felt like they got him. They finally got Jesus. And they're trying to get Jesus to, to say something. What is Jesus going to do? And I begin to think about this woman who is here. She is. She's humiliated. She's full of shame. She's basically been caught in public. Uh, Jesus' service is interrupted. Could you imagine as I was teaching here today right now, somebody just came in, that Pastor, what do we do with this guy? And, and uh, you know, th that's basically what's happening in the middle of the service uh, you know, this woman is thrown right in front of him, and she is caught in adultery, and they're trying to catch Jesus in a contradiction. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get Jesus to contradict himself, and here's this shameful encounter that this woman has with Jesus. But there's something about Jesus that a lot of us have never, uh, maybe we never put together, and I, I want to read this verse of scripture to you about who Jesus was or who Jesus is when he was born. And it says this in John chapter 1. It said, the word became flesh. How many know that's Jesus? He's the word. And made his dwelling among us. It said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And check out what it says. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And I begin to share with you folks, all of, all of us here that Sunday morning, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. So many times when we think about Jesus and the, the depictions of his character, we often say, well, Jesus is my provider. Jesus is my protector. Jesus is my peace. He's my preserver. He's my promise. And he's all of those things. But we don't often describe Jesus as being someone full of grace and truth. And if I could be honest with you, there's always this tension, even in the church and even in our society, when it comes to grace and truth. Because there's a lot of people, when it comes to describing Jesus, we can describe him as someone full of love, full of compassion, we can even describe him, even the Bible talks about one that is, uh, he, he demands commitment. 
How many remember the scripture says that if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross, right, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So we know that Jesus demands commitment, but there's also this side of Jesus that he's filled with grace and truth. And often even grace and truth is a bit of con- of a contradiction. It almost doesn't go together. But But we see in this story... That Jesus personifies grace and truth. Uh, Again, he is the word. He personifies the word. He is the fullness of the word. And let's think about grace. Why don't you share a little bit about grace and the grace of God a little bit. So, So we're all walking under the grace of God. We're all walking under the grace of God. And what does that mean exactly? Grace means God's unmerited favor. What does that mean? That means that you didn't earn it. There's nothing that you can do on this side of heaven to earn it. You, there is nothing. What we all deserve is hell and death and eternal hellfire. Okay. That, that's what we all deserve, but it's God's unmerited favor. It's his, un, it's his unwavering love and grace on our lives that we're able to walk and enjoy the goodness of God in this life. Now there's, there's a, there's a thing Pastor Omar was talking about the tension and he was talking about really there's a balance between this grace and truth that Jesus embodies. I mean, he just, he, he just does this so, so well. Um, so, so grace, those that, that walk under grace, we, we talk about, what was it? Greasy grace, right? Or, or, or loose grace, right? Uh, greasy grace says that you could do anything that you want. You're not responsible. You're not going to be held accountable. Live however you want because Jesus loves you. I, I'm here to tell you Jesus does love you, uh, but you will be held responsible and accountable for the decisions that you make in this life. And if you're not living your life according to God's word, not man's word, not the church, not the pastors, not your leader, but if you're not living according to God's word, uh, you begin to step out of the grace of God. Now, uh, I've, I, I'll, I'll testify here tonight. Uh, I know what it is to walk in the grace of God. I, I thank God for it. I'm walking in the grace of God tonight. But I also know what it is to walk outside of the grace of God. And outside of the grace of God, you know, oftentimes we think that we got it all, we got it all together. So I remember when I I got saved and I got a little job and I things started going. I said, well, hey, look, I'm pretty, uh, I'm talented. I'm gifted. I got, I got this, this whole thing down. And I remember, I, I remember very, very vividly the moment that I stepped out of the grace of God, all of a sudden things started falling apart. My, my home started falling apart. My relationship started falling apart. And I realized I became so entitled and walking in the grace of God that as I stepped out of it, uh, God helped us and helped me and realized, and I realized that it was the grace of God that was empowering my life to live out the way that he called me to live out. And so I want to tell you tonight that we need to have grace for our brothers and our sisters. We need to have grace. We need to thank God for the grace, but we can't have this greasy grace. Say greasy grace. We can't have this greasy grace thinking that we can live however we want. And God's just going to, God's just going to turn a blind eye. We, we serve a holy God. I'll say that one more time for those in the back. We serve a holy God. And his standard is holiness and righteousness and nothing less than that. And so God gives us the grace. God empowers us to live a life of holiness and so that we could be a witness of God here on earth. So, so it's amazing grace how sweet the sound, right? Well, I would sing it, but you guys don't want me to sing <laughs> So, So right when you're walking in his grace, right when you're basking in the grace, all of a sudden there's truth. And how many know truth will really hit you in the face many times, right? 
Truth is really God's holiness that even on your best day, you can't, you can't meet up to truth. We're not holy enough. We're not righteous enough in our own power to be able to walk in the truth of God. In fact, the Bible says the truth will set you free, but it will probably tick you off first, right? Doesn't the truth, right? The truth hurts, right? You can't handle the truth, right? It happens that way. You know, Santiago, it can't handle the truth. Anyway, that's a whole different thing. But, but, but begin to think about this, that the truth really, it does. When it confronts us, we realize that, you know what? It exposes a lot of bad in us. It, it makes us realize that we cannot meet, uh, basically God's standard. And when you start beginning to walk in truth, you begin to realize, man, it's hard. It's hard to walk in truth. And there's a lot of people today that they just want to talk about the truth, but they forget about the grace. Truth is the pill. Listen to me. Truth is the pill that everybody wants to give out, but no one wants to swallow. Right? The truth hurts, but his grace is wonderful. How many thank God for that? And so there's always, listen to me. Here's where I believe we need to really think about. There's always this tendency to lean on one side or the other. Some people lean on truth a lot. Other people lean on grace a lot, right? But it's often based on what's convenient for you at the time. So you got the grace people, right? The grace people, man, they just want to hug it out. They want to love it out. They want to have grace, you know, in their face, all over the place, right? It's just all over, right? But then you got the truth people, and they want to tell it like it is. They're not afraid of anybody. They're the ones that are usually, they'll never like anything on your Facebook or on your Instagram. But the minute you say something that violates the truth, man, that's controversial, they want to put out, they love to boast the truth. They like to uh, tout the truth. They like to put it out there. And and then all of a sudden, uh, they don't realize one day they're going to need the grace that they refuse to give. And so Jesus, when he handles this woman, see, the law reveals her guilt, but love reveals God's grace. And the Bible says that he goes there, and we'll move on here in just a minute, but he begins to write on the ground, and many, many people believe he began to write the sins of those people that were, that were accusing her because they had stones in their hand. They were ready to, to stone her, and he began to write sin. Maybe he was writing down their sin. Liar, gossiper, right? Lust, adulterer, maybe who knows what he was doing. And the Bible says one by one, when Jesus said, he that is without sin, cast the first stone. They all dropped the stones and walked away from the eldest to the younger. Because let me just tell you something. The gospel travels on the wings of grace and truth. See, a plane can't fly with one wing. It needs both wings. And so the gospel that we preach here in this church, as long as I'm here, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be preaching grace and truth. We often get people say, you need to preach more truth. I said, no, I need to preach more grace today. So I'm going to be preaching both grace and truth. Not when it's convenient, not because you like it, not because you ask. It's like this. You know what? A, a truth can be like a, a string on a, on, on, a, on a violin. Let's just say grace is like that string on that violin. Grace, if, if it's too loose, how many know you can't play that violin? The, the, 
that you just can't play anything on his too loose. If you tighten it too tight, and again, that's truth, you can bust it. But man, if you get that string, the right tension, grace and truth working together, it makes a harmony. We want to make a harmony for the kingdom of God. Come on, give God a big praise for that. We went on to talk about the one piece of the puddle. Remember, we had some puddles up here that one day. And we were talking about how, in fact, I just finished a puddle. I'll just be honest. I just finished another puddle. I had a, I had one puddle that I finished, and my wife, she's tired of these puddles. I went and bought another 500-piece puddle. I got a picture of it. I should show it to you. And and uh, she didn't help not one bit. She does, she's got her own puddle. Honestly, it's true, huh, baby? And she's ready to put my puzzle away. Man, last night, I, w- I finished it last night by myself. I, w- I was working it, man. I was working that puzzle. And, and man, it- it's just irritating when you can't find the one piece. Am I right? And, and we had people building these puzzles here the other day. And I, I mean, I forgot what Sunday it was. And-, and-, and one had one complete puzzle, but one was missing the piece. And I finally pulled it out of my pocket. You're missing it because it doesn't look right. And I'm here to tell you today that all of us uh, are a missing piece to somebody else's destiny, to somebody else's journey in the kingdom of God. And in that particular message, and I'm going to let Pastor Isaac talk about it here, it's about a little uh, servant girl who is became a slave to Naaman, who Naaman is is the general who has leprosy, and she's serving his wife. Serving his mistress, the Bible says. And the Bible said that Naaman is the general who has this position. He has this power. He's got everything going for him. But the Bible said he's a leper. Even though he's got the position, even though he's got the title, he has leprosy. And there, and during that time, biblical leprosy, you could not, uh, you were not going to recover. There was no miracle. There was no medical uh, way of healing. And so basically, eventually, he would die of this disease. And this little girl says to his mistress, if only my master would go see the prophet that is in Samaria, he would be healed of his leprosy. So I'll let Pastor Isaac kind of emphasize a little bit on that. This message, uh, this message was so good, and, and I encourage you to go back and, and watch it. I also want to encourage you to go back and watch our Tuesday morning uh, prayer and devotions, okay? On Tuesday mornings, it's kind of an enrichment uh, to what Pastor Omar preaches on Sundays, but I want to encourage you to go back and, and, and uh, uh, look at that. Now, in this story, this little slave girl, you know, uh, the, the, the odd thing and the sad thing is she doesn't even have a name here. Right. So so this this woman, when we're talking about, well, I don't have the resources, I don't have the influence, I, I can't do much. This was a slave girl. She was in bondage and she didn't even have a name. She wasn't even named here. Yet there's this one act. Right. She just she just uh, moves and uh, really in faith and changes everything. Now, a couple of things for us to, to kind of pull out and glean from this. Number one, uh, she was in bondage. So she wasn't set in a perfect place. Uh, God wasn't necessarily moving in her life. She wasn't on a mountaintop. She was really in a valley. And uh, despite that valley that she was in, and despite her uh, really being justified and being bitter, she didn't get bitter, but she got better. That's what we say often, right? Come on. We don't, around here, we don't get bitter, we get better. And so, listen, oftentimes God will use your misery to minister to other people. I'm going to say on. that one more time. God will oftentimes use 
use your misery to minister to other people. Well, Pastor Isaac, what do you mean by that? Oftentimes when you're struggling, oftentimes when you're going through something, it's the faith that you're exerting. It's the faith that you're showing to your family, to your coworkers that are ministering and, and causing faith to come alive in other people. And so here's a slave girl. She's, uh, she, she's, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> let me pick that up. All right. So here's a slave girl. She's, she's, uh, she's in bondage and she realizes there's something wrong in the house, right? It, it, it's dark. There's a cloud over this house. And she says, Oh, that, it, oh, that my master would go see this prophet. Now, I, I think this is, this is really, really interesting. If you go back and you look at all of the miracles that, that the prophet had performed, not one of them was healing leprosy. I'm going to say that one more time. If you go back and you look at all of the miracles that the prophet had performed, not, not one time is it recorded that he healed leprosy. Now, I began to think about that, and we talked about this. What kind of faith did this young girl have that she would be able to proclaim in faith that if he would just go, wow. if he would just get in the presence of God, I know that God could do anything, and leprosy is nothing compared to what God can do. And so I'm speaking this out in faith that if my master would just go to the prophet and show himself, he'll be healed of leprosy. And I could picture another servant on the other end making the bet that not, not leprosy. Right. He's never, he's that's never healed leprosy, right? That's, yeah, that's not in the book. That's not in the book. But yet this, this little girl offered hope yeah. in her own hopeless situation. Right. She was in a hopeless situation. She was a slave. And like most slaves in those days, you were going to be a slave the rest of your life. You would never come out of slavery. She didn't have a voice. She was probably the most insignificant person in the entire household. The Bible says she was just a servant girl. We never find out her name. She's this nameless servant girl that decided to speak up that day. And here's the, the ironic thing about, about it, or I should say the, uh, the most bold thing about it is that she spoke up. In those days, if you were a slave, you don't speak up. And she could have got beaten. She could have even got killed, especially making a statement like she was making and offering hope in a hopeless situation. They didn't ask her advice, but she speaks up because we see that it must have been the Holy Spirit that caused her to speak up and say, if only my master would go, uh, the, the, the prophet of God would heal him of his leprosy. She, oh, not only that, she off, she was offering hope to an enemy. Most of us, if that was your enemy and you were enslaved by him, you would have probably been saying, good, good, I hope he dies of leprosy. Come on. Some of you were wishing bad on your enemy. Before you got saved, right? BC, before Christ, right? Uh, right? BC, before Christ. You, 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 you hated your enemies. You wanted your enemies to go down. You say, man, I, I hope that girl right there loses her hair. I hope uh, all these different things. Uh, I know you've never thought that. So here she is. Uh, this guy has health issues. She could have had hatred. And like Isaac, Pastor Isaac said, she, she was not bitter. She was better. And she offered hope and she speaks up even when she was, she had no influence at all. And yet this little girl decides that she's the hero in the story. Because I love the way God raises heroes in the story. They're usually the underdog. This little David 
who is the shepherd boy that killed Goliath. It's Esther that's an orphan girl that becomes the queen. Can you say amen? It's Rahab that's the prostitute that helps the spies because Jesus will give you hope and cause you to give others hope when they have no hope because hope has the rope and his name is Jesus. Oh There's goodness. no hope in dope. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, so here, here's what I want you to think about. And I think what we probably need to move on to the next one, yeah. you think? No, it's okay. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, here's what I want you to think about when, when I look at this little girl. She, she probably had a lot of hurt, and I've covered this, but she's there as a slave, and we don't know the story, but they probably raided her vision of, of, of her village because the Bible said uh, that the Syrians had went out on a raid, and they brought back this little girl. So maybe it was during the night while she was home, uh, wherever village she lived, uh, they came in and raided the villages. So probably her loved ones got killed or maybe they were sold into slavery. Maybe as they were pulling her out of, of wherever she lived, she could see dead bodies around. I'm sure it was a traumatic moment in her life. She was going through trauma. There was emotional hurt. She was separated from her family, from her friends, everything that she knew. But there's one thing they couldn't shake her from, and that was her faith in God. Hallelujah. Her faith was bigger than the trauma. Her faith was bigger than the fear. And her faith is what she offered Naaman. And we know the story at the end of the day is that he went to Naaman, he went to the prophet Elisha, and Elisha simply told him, go wash in the Jordan River. That's a whole other sermon. I could get into that. But go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And ladies, I told you, you're going to be jealous because after the seventh time, he had skin like a baby. None of, none of those skin lotions that you use, they'll never do that for you. I know you think they do, but they don't. Amen. Uh, 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 he had, the Bible said he had skin like a baby. There was no Neutrogena, none of that stuff that they sell. This guy had skin like a baby because when God touches you, he changes everything. He renews you. He empowers you. The, the last message we want to talk about because we don't have a time to recap all of them is the one woman by the name of Mary. Jesus is at the house in Bethany. How many remember this sermon right here? I love this sermon. And he's there in the house of Bethany. I'm not even giving you a moment oh, here, ahead, but he's there in the go house ahead, of Bethany. And as he's there, he, he's there because he's there. they're there to honor Jesus. Because in that house is a man by the name of Lazarus who has been risen from the dead. And they're there to honor him. They're doing a dinner in Jesus' honor. And the Bible says as they're eating or maybe toward the end of dinner, that Mary, Lazarus' sister, comes with an alabaster box and she pulls out this perfume and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says as she does that and pours that uh, perfume, it, that aroma just goes all over the house. And she begins to wipe this perfume uh, on his feet with her hair. I mean, this was a, a, an act of worship. This was an act of gratitude. This was an act of thanksgiving to God. But the Bible says that one of the disciples who were there that was watching and observing what's going on, he made this comment, why this waste? Why are we wasting perfume, this expensive perfume? We could have sold this perfume for a lot of money and given it to the poor. Because the Bible says that perfume was worth a year's wages. And he said we could have sold it to the poor, not because he cared about the poor, the Bible says, but because he was a thief and often pulled money out of the money bag. 
You see how God will reveal the heart when you think whatever you give to God is the way. Nothing you give to God is ever wasted. Can you say amen? So I'll, I'll let Pastor Ida go because I just keep going here. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. You're on a roll. So, so we're talking about one moment in worship, one act of worship. And we, so we understand that worship, all that means is to, uh, ascribe worth of something to some, to, to, to a thing. And so, uh, here's this woman. She's ascribing worth yeah. to, to, to Jesus. And, uh, there's a couple of things that I want to make sure that we understand here. Um, Pastor Omar talked about this, but, uh, why is it that God needs to be worshiped all the time? Why is it that we have to come and, and give God praise and give God worship? Does, has God forgotten how great he is? Does he need us to remind him how great he is? No. Uh, so, so is God narcissistic where he just wants everyone to, robots to walk around and, and to worship him? No, that's not what it is. It's actually, worship is actually for the believer's benefit. Come on. I said that worship is actually for the believer's benefit. So uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 5.33, it says, Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you will live a long and prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And so what, what, what God is saying is if you put me as a priority, everything else will begin to work out. And so if we ascribe worship to him who is worthy alone, everything else begins to wor- work out. Now, there's three things. Uh, we just, we just named three things, but there's three things that are a benefit to the presence of God. When we worship God, we establish the presence of God. Amen. We bring, we, we establish dominion of God. And so there's three things that we have. So the first thing that the presence of God gives us is it gives us provision. Say provision. provision. All right. So tonight what I'm talking about is not financially, although God will provide for you financially. God is our provider, Jehovah Jireh. But what I'm talking about t- tonight is that God will provide provision for our emotional and our emotional health and our well-being. He'll give us confidence. I'll say that again. He'll give us confidence in our situation. God will provide confidence in your situation where you feel like you're overwhelmed, where you feel like there's nothing, uh, it's not going to work out. In his presence, God will provide confidence. Come on. The second thing, God will provide principles. What do, what do you mean by that, Pastor Isaac? Well, in times of worship, in times of reflection, in times of meditation, oftentimes God will bring a moment of clarity in a situation. How many of you have gone before the Lord in worship and you have a thing on your mind or you have something that's weighing on your heart and all of a sudden, like that, there's clarity that comes in that Amen. moment. In the presence of God, God will provide principles and understanding and revelation if we put him first. The last thing, and I think the most important thing, is this, that when we worship God and we establish the presence of God, God will empower us. Okay, I'll say that one more time. When you worship God and you establish the presence of God, God will empower you to live the life that God's called you to live. Believer, I'm speaking to you tonight. God has not called you to live a casual life. God has not called you to sit here on a, on a seat and warm it up. God has called you to walk in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. God has called you to walk out signs, miracles, and wonders in your life. There's a couple people getting it over here. God has called you to do these things. God has called you to establish heaven's culture here on earth. 
And I, I'll man, you you're getting excited. No, here. I'll let you go. All right, I gotta stop. But but living a you know living a life simply with information and not his presence is living a spiritual life that is inferior. And I I use the illustration. It's equivalent to having this phone. And most of us that have these smartphones, sometimes we call them dumb phones because they take so much of your time. But if, if, if you use your phone, you know, these smartphones, you're able to surf the web. You're able to use all these different apps. You're able to do banking. You're able to read emails, text, uh, look at videos, make videos, send videos, text pictures, text picture, do all of that. But if you only use this phone, listen to me, if you only use the phone to answer calls, to make calls, you, it's not it's not evil, but you are underutilizing what this phone was for. Many times as Christians and believers, because we don't get into the presence of God and we've not learned how to tap into worship, we are underdeveloped spiritually and we're not tapping in to everything that God has for your life. This is an area today that we can't afford to miss when it comes to worship. And, and again, worshiping is not a pep rally. Some of you came in here, oh, they're just excited. They like to jump. No, worship is getting into the presence of God. <laughs> worship is contending. See, we know that God is not in the lip service, right? He's not in lip service. He's in the heart service. He wants us to worship him from our heart. And, and it's necessary today. That we understand that, that you know what, God wants us this morning to do this. And so the Bible said that when she came to worship Jesus and she's, uh, you know, she's wiping and she's weeping and she's worshiping, uh, www, right? She's doing all of that, not .com, amen, weeping, wiping, and worshiping as she's there. I just came up with that. That was pretty good. And she did, she's doing that. That the Bible says that, you know, again, what they're thinking in their mind, it, there is no need for all of that. Doing too much. This is too much. This is, this is an exaggeration. In Spanish, we say, una cosa exagerada, man. This is just ridiculous. And, and it's, sometimes we can come in here and think that, you know, why are they clapping? Why are they shouting? Why are they dancing? Why are they, why are they raising their, their hand? And the Bible says she began to worship Jesus with perfume. Now, I don't encourage you guys to do that, okay? Leave your perfume bottles at home. But, but she also wiped his feet with her hair because the glory of a woman in that time was her hair. And she was giving the glory to Jesus. Amen. It was an expression of worship. And somebody by the name of Judas said, this is the ways. And it's usually these people, and I mentioned this there, uh, earlier, that J Judas was the one that had this opinion. He was the disciple of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. He was close to Jesus. So here we have somebody close to Jesus speaking for Jesus, right? But misrepresenting Jesus. We have a lot of people that you know that may be close to Jesus, and they may be been in church for a long time. They may be speaking for Jesus. But when it comes to really tapping into the presence, they are misrepresenting Jesus. She refused to listen to Judah's voice, and she listened to the voice of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Should I keep going or you want to go ahead? Go for it. No, so I have a question. Maybe you could maybe you could wrap it up here. Okay. Why in the world was she wiping and weeping and worshiping 
so extravagantly. Why was she doing that? Because she was grateful. And we know that she was grateful. And basically the reason why, okay, I'm going to stand up now. Come she on, was grateful. On. I got him going. Because she knew when she came and as she was worshiping Jesus, uh, that somebody else was in the room, uh, his name was Lazarus. And she knew that if it wasn't for Jesus, uh, Lazarus wouldn't be in the room. Uh, because we know that in chapter 11, uh, Lazarus was dead for four days uh, and Jesus raised him from the dead. And so she said to herself, uh, she could not worship here in chapter 12 because, uh, amen, she knew of chapter 11. Uh, she was worshiping him in chapter 12 because she remembered what God did in her chapter. How many remember? your chapter 11 what God did for you the miracle thing for dead in your chapter 11 thing for down in your chapter 11 but Jesus Christ resurrected your life Jesus Christ gave you the hope today that's why we worship God we're grateful for what he done we're grateful for what he's done in our life let's worship the Lord tonight hallelujah man Come on. I remember my chapter 11. <laughs> Amen. My goodness. Tell us about your chapter 11, man. <laughs> I, I remember my chapter 11. I, I remember when I was dead. Come on. I remember when I was dead spiritually. I had no hope. I had no hope. There, there was nothing going for me. And the Holy Spirit just called me out, just like, just like Jesus and Lazarus. I, I came out with, those, with, with, with the dead man clothes on. Right? And today I worship. Today I, I think I, I, on our way out of, on our way out of the door tonight, as I came out here, I told Pastor Omar, I can't believe the grace that, that God has poured on my life. I'm living a life that I never dreamed of. Come on. And I want to tell you tonight, you might be in a chapter 11 right now. You might feel like things are dead all around you. You might feel like there's no hope for what, what's going on. You might feel like your situation is desolate and desperate. But I, I'm here to tell you that the presence of God, one moment, I'm telling you in the back, one moment in the presence of God can change everything. And despite your chapter 11, despite your chapter 11, God wants to move on your behalf. He's just looking for a people that will posture themselves before God. He's looking for a people that will worship God. He's looking for a people that will make a decision for God this morning. Lift your hands all over this place. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. Come and stand, stand up. Stand up tonight. Come on. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you in this house. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in chapter 11. Father, but you called us to your glorious light. Come on, saints of God, begin to pray. Begin to pray. Begin to thank God. Begin to thank God. Father, we honor you tonight. Jesus, Jesus, you didn't leave us there. But, Father, you walked us through it. Father, we thank you for your testing tonight. We thank you for your testing tonight. We thank you for your testing tonight, God. Lord, we understand, God, that a faith that's not been tested can't be trusted. So we thank you for the testing tonight, God. Lord, we thank you for the valleys tonight, God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.